Welcome into our lives. And welcome to the Expanders Club podcast. We're so happy to have you. Join us as we embark on a journey of deep exploration, soul searching, and asking the hard questions. With the goal of truly understanding the most aligned, empowered, and purposeful versions of ourselves. We want to live an extraordinary life, and we're willing to dig deep to find out what it takes. Buckle up, you're about to meet a new version of yourself, an extraordinary one. Hello, and welcome to the Expanders Club podcast. I'm Maddie. And I'm Brooke, and we are so grateful to have you guys on this journey with us of expansion, evolution, self-discovery for your benefit and ours. And today's guest was a really fun one and is really special. Lauren Bash, aka Re Lauren, which some of you may know her more familiarly on social media. She is a climate activist and optimist and an incredible storyteller. She does amazing mm-hmm. skits. Her videos are just so entertaining and she puts such a fun spin on getting her message out about climate activism, you know. So many different messages that she puts out, which we're going to talk about today. She's so passionate and she just really makes it fun. Yeah, and motivates you. Her, through her storytelling, her own passion, it's really motivating. And I think we walked away from this conversation ready to take some action. We did indeed. Let's get started. All right, guys, enjoy this one. Lauren, it is so good to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I was just thinking back to when we first met. Do you remember? Well, depends. Depends what memory. Because our first one goes way, way back to the 4th of July, three arch. (laughs) Oh, my God, which neither of us remembered because we must have both been, you know, under the influence. Our lovely, like early (laughs) twenty-year-old selves at a beach party, Fourth of July. Yes, (laughs) different Um, times. Yeah, I was thinking about the time um, we were meeting for Super Bowl, and we'd been introduced through mutual friends. And you were coming over, and I remember being so nervous because I was already following you, and I was like a fan girl. And then when you showed up. We both had brought the same healthy snacks. Yes. And <laughs> I love we that. talked the entire way through the Super Bowl only to yep. stop to honor Rihanna. Of Rihanna. <laughs> yes. And I was like, damn, this girl is so fucking cool and we're going to be friends. Yes. And here we are, two years later, besties. <laughs> yeah. And the girl that you can just do everything with, like, we swim, we run, we cook, we surf, we do Pilates together. You're just the all-round friend and just bring so much light to so many people's life and even like the people that know you and the people who don't because if you follow Lauren on social media, you will see the light that she brings and how entertaining and amazing she is, which if you're part Absolutely. of the sustainability community or the plant-based community, or anyone, you will follow, follow Lauren, which Lauren, tell us who you are. 
Well, first off, Mads, that's who you are in the friend group or just like in the world is you're an immediate friend to everybody. So I feel like you even like read your own bio there, girl. Like the only reason I go and do those things is because you're like the ringleader who's like, we're surfing, we're swimming, we're going to Pilates. And I'm like, damn, I should go do that. But you well, are the hope leader, to get to a place in life where the people we hang out with are a reflection of us, right? And, and hopefully it's in it's in all the good ways. True. So, That's I'm a better seems... person because of that. For sure. Same here. We reflect each other. I love that. 100%. It seems like you two have nailed that. And I love that. And want to touch on your content. Lauren, because I, you and I are are new, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll be quick friends. But I've had the opportunity the past few days to to do a dive into your content, and holy shit, like you are, <laughs> <laughs> you are incredible, and you are like the true definition of a content creator. Your content is, it's not only beautiful, but it's like intelligent, thoughtful. It's 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 so professional. There's no filler there. There's no like meme fillers or not that there's anything wrong with that. I love a good meme. But like every piece of your content is amazing and so thoughtful and you walk away feeling something. So I'm so curious why your content's so great and kind of the, the journey to getting to this place um, as this climate activist influencer. Yeah. Well, thank you for the acknowledgement. Holy cow. I'm like pumped up now. <laughs> this is going to be a real chat. Are you going to start building me up? Um, it's all true. I feel like I have to admit something. So I went to film school for undergrad and, you know, I have like memories. It's actually really sweet. I have memories of like holding our family video camera and like filming my sister doing like runway shows down our hallway as kids. So I've like always been drawn yeah. to video storytelling. I was a theater kid. So like just storytelling and performance and things like that have always been um, part of my life. You know, it's just yeah, been recently as of, like the past two years that it's been a profession, you know? Um, but yeah, I was working. So I went to film school and then I was working for a pretty big company for a long time doing video production or as a producer, creating short form and social content. And so I guess that's why, if I was going to say like why my content is um, not shot on an iPhone, is because my background <laughs> is in video production and video storytelling. So you were getting paid to do this content creation before you decided to start your own, own platform. Um, well, I was working. I was working at Red Bull, and I was a producer, so creating all sorts of short form videos, sometimes long form, but mostly short form videos. So yeah, that was my career for a long time. And then I quit, I quit February 26, 2020. Oof. And I went to Argentina. <laughs> I was like, this is the year. Like I got my bonus. I chopped my hair off. I turned 28. I was like, this is it. I'm going to go backpacking in Argentina and go see my mom's family. And I'm going to go to Patagonia and I'm going to go to the Amazon. And I had all these like bright eyed plans before I went freelance. Cause I was like, okay, then I'll be freelance and I'll work on corporate clients, commercial clients, and then work on my passion projects. And I was in Argentina when COVID hit and my dad called, it was March 20th. And he was like, Lauren, if you're planning on coming home, you got to come home. Like now, Wow. you don't want to wow. get oh my stuck. Gosh. And the next day, Argentina had closed their borders. So like, had I waited 24 hours, I wouldn't have <gasps> been home. Anyways, I got my shit no. wrapped in the pandemic. I like 
you know, I came back, LAX, Brooks and I were his boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. And he was like, thank God you're home. And I have this memory of like crying in the car. Cause I'm like, I quit my job and I moved out of my apartment and I'm 28 years old. Like what, what am I going to do? He's like, you're yeah. fine. You can like hang with me for a bit. You can quarantine and then you can go stay with your mom. And I was like, I've, I knew I was going to be freelance, but I didn't think it was going to be like this. Cause it was so hard to find work. Like nobody was hiring all my friends who were big time DPs or had been in film for a long time were on unemployment. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I was obviously so privileged and so lucky to have mom as like the safety net, you know, that I got to crash with her. Um, so yeah, I was like living with my mom and I downloaded TikTok just like everybody else did during the pandemic. And it was an election year. So there was obviously a lot of conversation around climate and the election and voting mm -hmm. for a president who wasn't going to support offshore oil drilling and things like that. So I got really loud on the internet and I was like, oh, I was essentially creating, like you said, Brooke, I was essentially creating social content for a corporation for a long time. And now I can just create it for myself. So cool. Wow. I mean, so intense. I want to back up for a second because what you said about your job, I think to a lot of people sounds like a dream job, like Red Bull, you must have had a lot of opportunity to be super creative. And I feel like a lot of the content that they put out in the world is really fun and cool. And, you know, not necessarily something I'm consuming, but I think to a lot of people would be like, you've made it. That's like an amazing job. Go ahead and stay with that and just like be happy for the rest of your life. Um, clearly that was not how you felt. Can you tell us about the, that moment or that time where you decided, cool, I've built this career and now I'm going to leave it all behind for something, something else, something bigger. Yeah. I think, um, I think Red Bull does a really good job of recruiting really brilliant and talented people to their team. Because like you said, they're a global organization. Everybody knows what Red Bull is. They have some of the most like viral not even viral, but like cultural shaping pieces of mm -hmm. video ever, right? Like when Felix jumped from the stratosphere, you're like, everybody remembers this. Um, so yeah, it's very like luring to come work for this like shiny, <laughs> fancy company. Um, so yeah, it was very fun. And I got to travel a ton. And, you know, Brooks used to always say like, where are you going now? And I got to go to like Utah, New York and Europe and Miami and like go sh work on all these projects and shoot all over the country. Um, but simultaneously I was like becoming really curious about climate change and, uh, my entry into the climate space was after Trump was inaugurated when I think a lot of people became radicalized because you didn't realize how much you cared about something until it was under extreme threat. And so for mm -hmm. me, it was offshore oil drilling. I grew up in LA, always been like such a enthusiast and like lover and had deep affinity for the ocean. And so that was my entry into the climate space. And so from 2016 to 2020, that little voice in my head kept getting louder and louder and louder. And I was like, wait, do I want to be working for a corporation who's not only like not doing something that like ultimately involves conservation or awareness or like something mm -hmm. in some matter, but is actually causing like quite a bit of damage. And, you know, like Red Bull is a privately owned company. Everything is made in Europe. And at the time, I I think now they also make it in the U.S. At the time, it was made in Europe and it was imported to the U.S. And I didn't drink the product anymore. And so I think that was when I was learning about intuition. And I was like, this yep. doesn't feel right. Um, wow. And so what I recommend everybody do that I started doing was anytime I got like a trigger and I was like, oh, I would screenshot it and put it in, on my desktop of like reasons to quit. 
And it was wow. like everything from like sexist things that were said in meetings to like single use plastic that they were like essentially requiring accounts to use when serving Red Bull to like us being driven by sales numbers when we were the content team. And I was like, okay, these are all triggers to like listen to intuition. And so Whoa. I think by the end, my only regret, even even 2020 being as rough as it was, my only regret was that I hadn't quit sooner. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I, I love that exercise, but at the same time, isn't it so funny how we, this voice in our head or our soul, whatever you want to call it, like knows the answer. And now yeah. it's like trying to find proof points to convince like what our logical mind that yeah. this is a good idea. Yet had you listened to that voice and been like, yep, that's right. Peace out. You wouldn't have had to gather. I mean, it's such a great yeah. exercise because we all do that, need that reinforcement and it takes a lot of time and a lot of proof to like listen to that voice immediately. Um, but just, just so interesting. Like you knew, <laughs> but still yeah. let me like, let me collect all the information and like sit in this misery for a little bit. How yeah. miserable can I get? <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, then things would come like, oh, but your bonus or like a really fun trip or the end of your party yeah. or things. And I'd be like, go look at the desktop go look at the folder. <laughs> I'd be like, don't, don't fall for it, Lauren. Like, I was like, Do I it's have one not enough. Yeah. Is it one more year? <laughs> so. so you, it's 2020, you're, you've quit your job, life is upside down for everyone. But for you, you have no money, no clear career path, because all your friends who are working in that field don't have all of your contacts are kind of out the door, right? They don't have jobs either. You take to TikTok. Were you thinking, hey, I'm going to make a career out of being an influencer and content creator? Or were you just ready to share your voice and have some fun? What was the mindset? I think it was the latter. Like, I didn't think it was necessarily going to be something that was like something I could pursue as a full-time career. I always thought I was going to be producing. I also edit. So I thought I was going to produce and edit and then also simultaneously create my own content. But that I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be my full-time job. It was like something I was pursuing on the side. And it's something, you know, it's, it's funny. I always tell people now who are trying to get into content. I'm like, what do you feel like you need the world to know? Because that's what will motivate you to create content. Yep. And I feel like so often, like you said, like these, these filler posts or people are like, I have to post something today. And there's this pressure to post, but I'm like, but if it's done out of, um, obligation, then it's not, you're not like, but I need you to know something. And I think in 2020, I was like, I need you to know a lot of people. Like, I need you to know something. Um, and so that was ultimately my motivation was just like to inform and educate and inspire and engage people about climate change and voting for a president who wasn't going to like roll back all of these different EPA restrictions mm -hmm. and incentivize all of this drilling. And so that was my, um, a guiding light, I guess. Um, and then there came a time. So I was still like taking freelance clients. I was working for a like vegan meat company, doing some like consulting and helping them build their online audience in the US and still taking like side gigs here and there while also like working with brands and creating my own original content and stuff. But then there came a time when I saw it start to flip. This is late 2021. And I was like, oh, this is when it becomes a full-time job. Yep. Got it. Yep. And the same, um, the same triggers I was feeling at Red Bull when I was like, I'm not driven by, I'm not motivated by sales. It's never something that's going to like light me up. And ultimately when you're working 
my experience was when I was working in house somewhere that was supposed to be the motivation and I just wasn't inspired by it. And so again, those triggers of like, I don't want to be in these sales meetings. I'm not trying to, it's funny because you like influencers or content creators are essentially like online salespeople. Um, but it became a point when it felt like pushy and about volume and all of these things, instead of just like naturally talking to a friend about something that I like yeah. and that I enjoy and you can purchase it or not, you know, yeah. um, which just isn't how sales works. So anyways, there became a point when it started to flip and I was like, okay, I think I can do this full time. And I also think that's, um, that was part of it too. What's the saying? Like you have to, or burn the boat or like you have to throw your hat <laughs> over the wall or you have to burn the boat. And I was like, I won't know until I do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and so quitting that job, I think was like or the side gigs and the freelance stuff. I was like, I can do, I can do this, but you, I won't know until I really try, you know? And that's a, that's a really hard step to take and a really scary step to take. And but yes, it's it's almost like this split energy into dabbling in all these things and a big portion of things that you don't really care about versus putting all your energy yeah. and focus into the one thing that you do care about and yeah. trusting the universe, believing in yourself. Like that's a combination of a lot of things. So there yeah. had to be a lot of a lot of muscles you were exercising at that time to like get you to that moment where you were like, Yep, I believe in myself. I trust the universe. I'm going yep. for this. Yep. And like I also tell other freelance folks too. I'm like, y'all, I was taking any effing gig I could get on Upwork. Like I was like, yeah. it wasn't like I was like, oh, I just want to be a full-time content creator and I'm going to like quit myself. I literally did anything I could to like bring in some income. And that's just freelance for you. That's like part of the dance. And it wasn't stuff I was inspired by or motivated by, but that's, I was like, but it's a short-term project and it has a finish line and I can show up and do my work and like get compensated. And that was it. I did like, I did like customer testimonials for like a law firm. I was doing anything I could <laughs> incredible. To, like, to get work. And I was on Upwork and Fiverr and all these things, just trying to find work. Um, so that's also part of it too, is like, you gotta, you gotta, tr like, you gotta try. This isn't, there, there wasn't like entitlement of like, oh, I have to be a full-time content creator. It was like, I'm working my ass off to make this happen. And then, like I said, something started to flip. I see that though, Lauren, so many people, I feel like look at your life from the outside and they're like, oh my gosh, what a dream she gets to work for these amazing brands. She gets to go to trips to Costa Rica. She gets paid to do live this kind of dream life. And I know that speaking to you, you are like, okay, yeah, but this is a job. Like I'm waking up every day and having to turn on and create film, like get in front of the camera and show up and self-motivate like how is that for you well I feel like to be completely honest and I and I should say like if any of the partners I get to work with to create sponsored content for are listening to this I'm very grateful for their work and their belief <laughs> in me and the way that they it is it's like an energy exchange right where they're like we believe in what you're creating when you're not paid Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what they're buying, right? They're like buying this airtime on my channel of like, here's Lauren who's talking about climate change and climate action and community engagement, community involvement, all these things, classic pollution. And then she's also essentially like integrating one of our products or services into her content programming, right? Like a TV channel or something. Um, I guess that's my background in like TV and film talking for you. But I feel like my sponsored content is like the least, like the least exciting part of my job. You know, like mm -hmm. I remember saying last January 
Like if I could find a way to never make an ad ever again, I would. Like I, wow. I'm so much more fulfilled and inspired and excited about what I'm saying when it's not ultimately like a deliverable for somebody else. Yeah. That's like potentially contributing to like the sale of a product. I'm like, that's so lame that like that goal of this is to like sell something. But if it's like to get someone to go join a community group or like to like go check out their local community composting or to like go register to vote, maybe because I'm like motivated by impact. Totally. And if it's, and don't get me wrong, I work with so many amazing organizations too that are nonprofits or environmental orgs or like water conservation orgs um, where there is like an impact driven outcome as well. Well, and I think that coming from a place of, you know, a brand owning a brand and being in that brand space for over a decade, something that I've always thought is interesting and, and curious your thoughts on this. Like we, brands can be a catalyst for change and a tool for change as well. And by exposing these brands that are better to people, it allows them to be able to participate and do something. You know, you can shout at the top of your lungs about a certain topic, but for most people, if there's not an accessible solution, they're not able to make change. And I think that's what brands have an opportunity to do is to give people access to making change. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think your job, it's, I totally get what you're saying, but it, if you look at it holistically, like you, you need both, right? In order for you to have the time and space to create these, this content that you're so passionate about, you need the, you need the money to be able to support yourself and do that. And so I totally get that. But I think that your stuff comes across and feels so authentic and you're showcasing brands that I know that you are very specific about and it really is a gift to people to give them that access and that tool and that knowledge without them having to do a ton of research because that's often kind of where the buck stops is like okay I know I should do something but like I don't have time to sit down and research what are the best tools to, yeah. to be able to do that well, I think and that's Lauren, the okay. that's the um like responsibility part of being a like mission driven or impact driven content creator on the internet. So you also have a responsibility, which just makes it like, just makes it difficult. Cause I, there are influencers on the internet who don't have like an ounce of vetting process. They're like, I'm getting paid. This is my job. I'm going to promote this product and that's it. And it could be like tested on animals or made in a sweatshop or be like exported or imported from anywhere in the world, like covered in single use plastic harmful chemicals, whatever. And they're like doing their job. But the difference of like an ad you see on the TV versus like an ad of an influencer essentially endorsing something is there is an element of you saying like, I'm endorsing this. And if you have yeah. a community, they trust you and they respect you. And so I don't take that lightly. And I've made mistakes in the past where like I've said yes to campaigns that I shouldn't have. And even when I thought it was like the right thing, um, my community will like, you know, put me in check very quickly. And it does make it tough because yeah, I would like love to say yes to everything. And it would make like supporting my work a lot easier if I could say yes to everything. But if I'm going to stand up here and say like, I care about a future where like everyone has access to clean air, clean water, where we're treating our soil and our land with respect, like mm -hmm. all these things, then that does, that does put a, um, like a vetting process on the brands that I partner with. And do they like check all these boxes essentially? 
I want to know those brands that you said no to. (laughs) (laughs) Name, name them. No. Um, Tell us more about that moral line and and how you walk it and how it has served you or maybe been difficult. I feel like, okay, I think in the, in the climate space, obviously there's a lot of conversation around systems change. And you just said it too, Brooke, like, I know you're very passionate about regenerative agriculture and we talk about fixing the food system. And you're like, yes, we can all agree, right? We need a new food system. We need, we need to steward our land well. And like, it's all interconnected, right? And so I think the more I learn about systems change, the more I'm like so aware that like these systems are rotten, you know, and they Mm -hmm. serve and protect a very small group of people at the top who continue to make billions and take care of all their friends, right? Investors or shareholders, whoever, um, to protect them and their pensions and their like wealth, you know, while a lot of people at the bottom are like getting really sick from it, getting really sick or like we'll live in poverty. Right. And so the more that it's all, it's all interconnected. And so I think, I guess with age and maturity or perhaps just like learning more and more and like these systems are rotten and they're broken and they protect some while like really put others at disadvantage. And so I think that's where the, uh, my moral ick sometimes comes in of like, yes, brands have some brands do things well, but it's also within a broken system, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like, the biggest one we talk about, or not the biggest, but one we talk about a lot in sustainability is like the linear life cycle. Take, make waste, right? You like extract something from the earth, you make something from it, and it ultimately ends up in a landfill. But everything in nature is cyclicals. So cyclicals, we talk about like the circular economy. Things, how can you like take something from the earth, make a product from it, and then at the end of its life cycle, it can return back into the system. Yep. And there's yep. been so many amazing organizations who have shown how they can do that. Like it's like a carpet company. I think it's called interface carpets. And he did it. He showed how he made these carpets in like square patches for massive commercial buildings. So when like a part was ruined, they just pulled out the square, replaced the square. And he was like, his name's Ray Anderson. He has an amazing Ted talk. You got to check it out. Um, but just showed how like, if I can do it as a carpet company, you can do it as right. a whatever company, right. you know? And I was oh, like, no one thinks, yeah. And no so, one thinks carpet and is like, okay, how do we make these more sustainable? <laughs> right. Or like, yeah, that's going to be a sustainable company, right? And there, there are brands who are doing things um, with the right intent when they're like, we're a certified B Corp and we pay our people well. And we are, um, we have all these different elements of compliance where we're making sure that we pass all these checks. But I'm like, but the fact that you have to jump through every single hoop to do something right when like the sis, like the biggest indicator is you don't say something is not organic in the grocery store, or that it's not right. tested that it's tested on animals, right? Like you have to qualify for those badges or those certifications if they are right or women owned, right? I'm like it just shows you how the system is broken that you don't have to indicate those things on a package or on an item if it's not. So I think that's probably where my moral. Uh, friction comes in more of like, how do we change these systems? So it's not so hard for someone to say, I'm doing the right thing, you know, because you yeah. talk about access, who has access to these things, who can afford these things, who has the time, like it's all, it's well, all. That is the, that's almost the biggest broken part, you know, as an organic woman owned business, like yes. you have to pay, you have to pay <laughs> yes. for all of those things. Yes. Like, and we pay, sometimes we're some, for some of our raw materials, we pay triple the amount because it's organic 
Um, so that's, you know, it just, you are so right. And the food system is one that I'm more knowledgeable on than others just because I've been in it, but it's so broken. And something you said uh, before we went fully down this rabbit hole triggered me thinking about a post that you shared um, about the state of California suing big oil corporations. Oh, yeah. And so could you share, I, I just thought the information in that post was, was so interesting and heartbreaking at the same time, but such a good representation of kind of what we're up against. So could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So big oil is not dumb. You know, they're like some of the wealthiest industry, wealthy, wealthiest industry on the planet, right, is oil. And so they knew, big oil has known about climate change since the 70s. And they actually had a, a specific test or um, study run to understand what is the impact of burning fossil fuels on the climate in the 70s. Scientists assigned to it and everything. They burned, they literally burned the evidence. They were like, oh shit, burn the evidence in the 70s. So there's been whistleblowers who have come out since and were like, hey, we were the scientists or like we were related to the firm who did this, big oil knew. And so they've been covering up their lies for 50 something years. And so the issue, or when we're talking about California suing big oil, well, now we all know that these like extreme weather events are exacerbated by climate change. Climate Mm -hmm. change is caused by the earth heating up. The earth is heating up because we're burning fossil fuels, which the best explanation I heard is like, it's like putting a blanket on the earth. And so all the, all the heat, all the carbon, everything that, that attracts heat is trapped inside the atmosphere instead of being released back to space. And so we know that like every big global report that comes out says burning fossil fuels is causing climate change. So big oil has known that. And so now when we see these extreme weather events, let's say there's a, a flood in Florida and it's caused by climate change, right? Or sea level rise mm-hmm. is caused by climate change. Big oil is not paying for that. It's the state or the city, right? Is paying $800 million to raise the sidewalks or to install pumps or something like that to like get rid of this excess water. And so what California did is when we see wildfires and droughts or storms or all these things that are exacerbated by climate change, you're saying big oil, this is your tab. You're responsible for this. And so, because you've known since the 70s that this is your responsibility, that all of these extreme weather events are exacerbated by the damage you're causing. And so this is like spicy that Newsom and and California is suing. And I think it was whatever happens in California trickles to the rest of the country and Oregon. Oregon's always like pretty radical too. Um, But it's cool because you will start to see this. Actually, I should say. California joined, I think it was 40 different municipalities because there are some that maybe not on the state level, but that are at like the city or local level mm-hmm. um, that are also suing big oil because they're saying like, we don't want our tax dollars. Like, how the heck does this make sense? The math is not mathing. I'm paying taxes to clean up a wildfire Your mess. that you yeah. cause. Yeah. How does that well, make sense? It's just a, wow. like... It's another visual of how the system that you're talking about is so broken. You know, one of the pieces of the system, our tax dollars go to clean up their messes, but our tax dollars also go to subsidize. um, Our tax dollars also go to subsidize oil, oil and gas companies. And so, yeah. How do, who, what's your pup's name? Sorry, Sunny. Sunny, what are you getting excited about? She's like, I'm she's, she's feeling it about. I know she's she's <laughs> pissed and Sunny doesn't like it. Wants to do something about it. Um. So, 
all of this said, it's we can go down a million rabbit holes of the systems, how they're broken, how you know it feels so frustrating, and and how like major major change is needed to break these systems down. How does someone have this information and stay motivated, stay upbeat, find find hope? Yeah. Um. I guess it kind of goes back to what we we're saying earlier. Like, what do you need the world to know? And I feel like for yep. me, like I've always wanted a family and my family means everything to me. And I've always wanted to be a mom. And I'm sure Brooke too. It's like the second you're a mom, there's like something that switches or changes. And you're like, oh, there's a different purpose of why I'm here and, and someone else's future I'm fighting for too. And Absolutely. perhaps too, because my mom's family is in Argentina and you see how the global South is going to be like disproportionately and extremely impacted by global temperatures rising. Like parts of the world will just be uninhabitable. It cannot live, cannot live there. There's you, I think the definition of uninhabitable is like you can't stand outside for more than like wow. 20 minutes or something <gasps> because oh, no. of the heat. Yeah. It's a mixture of the heat and the humidity, like the, called something a swab something i don't know they test the atmosphere you can't stand outside it's too hot your body will overheat you can't cool down yeah oh so, my god and that's but like not to be dark but that's also the truth is like climate scientists are saying it's not if but when and so yep. when you're like okay well then that's my motivation is not to only advocate for my future children and like hopefully grandchildren but also like the people who that's their lived experience every day, you know, and where is the like collective humanity in this? And I have a responsibility because, you know, my siblings on earth are going to be immediately impacted by extreme heat and lack of access to water, or they cannot grow food or become climate yep. migrants and are forced to flee. And so when I think of, I guess it's purpose, like what ultimately drives you is you're like, oh, because this will be the fight of not only my lifetime, but like every lifetime that comes after this, but also rooted in optimism because I know we can do this. And like, because we don't have a choice, like if we we're don't going have a to choice. survive, we, yes, we don't have a choice. And be, and like, you get it, you, you see it, especially, I think with food, it's so personal because it's something you make a decision about several times a day. But when you see what's possible and what's when you see the goodness of it, right? Food probably too, because you have access to a local farmer's market or you can see like what food looks like even in your own backyard. And you're like, oh wow, this is what's possible. And and I therefore have like a taste of optimism of what it, what the future could be. Fossil fuels are probably a bit tougher because you're like, okay, what is like a, e e what is my EV or like my heat pump or my solar? You could for sure if you're a homeowner, like taste it. But yeah, perhaps that's where like the optimism is birthed, but you're also like, but we don't have a, I do not have a choice. I was actually talking to someone a couple weeks ago and they're like, there's this like arc of knowing something and then believing something. Like mm -hmm. you're like, I know it, I get it. I know that, right? I know that. But then when you like full embody it of like, oh, I get that now. And then like the third part of that evolution is like, and I don't have a choice. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's no longer something that I'm choosing. Am I going to do that or not? You're like, I don't have a choice. And so I think that's the, I guess that was the, yeah, I don't have, we don't have a choice. Like the science is obvious. We have a responsibility for our like 
shared humanity on earth to create a thriving future where everyone has access to lot to live you know well and it's not like we're talking about something that's centuries away from happening oh, no. like we're seeing it happen right in front of us and i think that's the scary thing and also when you talk about climate deniers or people that just aren't motivated to do anything or you know I've even seen people and you see this with it's funny climate and food kind of you know as we know like go kind of do go hand in hand whether people fully realize it or not for but sure I see this in food and I see it in climate where people are almost like doing the opposite is cool like eating bad food is cool like I you know showing photos on Instagram of like going through McDonald's drive through and getting like a diet soda would be the equivalent in food to people showing off, like not caring about, you know, the little things that individuals can do. Why can't we get, why can't we get out of our own way? We can't, oh great, we're, we need to help ourselves. That's a leap because we can't even get out of our own way. Why do you think that is? Okay. So we're talking about like the system being rotten and broken, like when we talk about big oil covering up the science, right? Or covering up the evidence, like these are, these are massive corporations with like deep, 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 deep pockets. So even when you talk about like lobbying, which is done a lot in the food system, food system too, right? Like big ag has deep pockets and spends a lot of money to make sure that elected officials don't pass certain laws with the farm bill or things like that. And it's the same with oil and gas, right? Like the amount of millions of dollars that oil and gas spends on lobbying every year. And I've seen them y'all. Like I've been in Sacramento, I've been in DC and you see these suits, like these guys walking out of these meetings, unlimited funds, right. And say like, mm -hmm. what essentially like, what would it take? Name your price. What would it take to make sure that this isn't passed? It's wild. It's wild. And so I think the, uh, the force here, like the enemy is like very clear. And I think yeah. it's really easy, um, actually, to what you said about like us as individuals. I think it's really easy, especially when we're early in our climate journey, to like point the finger at each other. Shame on you for not caring. Shame on you for not trying harder. Shame on you for drinking out of plastic or not buying organic or whatever. Blah blah blah. And I have this joke now that like every time you shame someone for their carbon footprint, Jamie Dimon makes a million dollars. And Jamie Dimon is the CEO of Chase Bank. And he's invested like $484 billion in fossil fuels since the Paris Agreement. Man. And so you're like, oh, no, oh, no, babe, it's not me or you and our plastic straws. Like there are very few people to be held accountable here. And our energy of like, criticizing one another for our footprint, and our plastic and our diet and our this is like, so ineffective. You know, and, and yeah. I think that's the, that was my intention last year was making content like so inviting. Like, it doesn't matter if you're brand new to this and you want to learn more. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're an expert, like we need everybody part of this movement. And it's not going to happen if you feel like you have to be this perfect environmentalist or a vegan or drive an EV or walk or not have a car or whatever. Like, that's so not it, you know? And so it's it's really dangerous when we start like pointing the finger at one another of like you should care more and you should do this and it's like it's not it's not it like I acknowledge you exactly where you're at I challenge you to play a bigger game I feel like yep. in LA this is my observation and I actually have like a pretty spicy skit coming out soon about like the air one Ooh. oh well, oh this oh, is it this, this is I'm excited <laughs> okay I'll tell you so oh my god yes this is my this is my issue in LA in Venice. You have people who like buy organic and they 
don't drink out of plastic or now they don't drink out of plastic because they understand there's microplastics in it and they don't want to harm their health, but their activism stops with them, right? I eat organic and I do this because it's good for me and it's good for the planet. And I'm like, if your activism stops with you, it's too small or it's not activism. Like you're only looking out yep. for yourself. And if you have the access and privilege to afford an $18 smoothie at Erwan, you have the access and an opportunity to advocate for a localized and just food system. And there are so many amazing orgs in LA, in the greater LA area, who are creating food access and food justice, and who are trying to create more opportunities for everyone to have access to fresh, healthy food instead of those who can afford an $18 smoothie at Erwan. And so Erwan is beautiful and it's amazing. And they're really love, they're really good at creating access to healthy and organic food for those who can afford it. But like, mm -hmm. what, where's, why doesn't Erwan subsidize their food or put it on like a pay a sliding scale and put it in perhaps lower income areas. So if it's truly about making everybody have access to healthy food, right? Oh yeah. So that's my, that's my beef. Your activism stops with you. It's too small. That's my bubbling message for this year is like inviting people who are so close, like you've got the right idea you can play a bigger game, you know? Yeah. I love that. Mm. What are a few of the, like, what's your, what are your top two organizations helping give access to people in, I guess in Southern California? Cause that's where you're based and probably have yeah. the most um, experience. Yeah. So there's three in LA that are amazing. Um, one is, I just heard about them. They're called Crop Swap LA and they turn um, like front yards into the like, food forests. Oh, it's amazing. Cool. Mostly hydroponic mm. and then some in soil. And then they sell it as subscription to people in the community. That's so they're so essentially cool. turning cool. like lawns or cement yard or cement driveways into food forests and then creating a subscription box, CSA box for the community. So that's crosswalk. Oh, I love that. There's Alma, which Mads, I know I told you about so many times, but it's a um, uh, urban farm community garden in Compton. And they have a farm stand open twice a month and it's, extremely affordable so therefore it's accessible to the community because farmers markets can also be very expensive and then there's mm -hmm. this like element of elitism yeah i want to shop organic and local but i can't afford it so alma um makes it accessible and affordable and then the so last good. one's called supermarket it's my friend olympia and i don't know if she's i think she's opening in the spring um and it's an organic produce market in south la and that's it. This is, it's creating a, essentially like an Erwan supermarket Erwan in South LA where Erwan doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, cool. that's amazing. Excited to see. Yeah. I, we'll link all of those in the show notes, but I'm um, excited to dig in myself and, and you're right. The individualism is, it's like, it's the first necessary step, right? Like I'm doing, I want to do my part maybe then asking yourself, well, why do you want to do your part, right? Is it because you care? Is it because you want to post on Instagram, you're using the sustainable brand, or you're doing this or not doing that? Is it to just let go of guilt? Mm -hmm. um, and all of those things are fine. That's a great starting point. But like, the time is now to do something bigger, yes. um, and have a bigger, bigger impact. Yeah. And I love yeah. that message. Yeah. And you giving those examples, Lauren, of those local ways in LA that we can shop, that we can get involved, who we can support. That's just so helpful because I find it so overwhelming when we speak about like the bigger, you know, bigger oil companies. It's like, you, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. 
And it's just like at least like going a little bit beyond my like day-to-day of just doing my standard buying organic, et cetera, like stepping up and going in, volunteering on the weekend, gardening and planting vegetables for the local community and planting plants, you know, just like all of these things like in downtown on like, I think a Friday morning, they have these markets on that they sell all of the produce that would have gone to waste. And it's significantly cheaper. You can get big boxes of mangoes, like 20 mangoes for $20. And you can get like all of these bananas that are like, they're all, they're imperfect produce essentially that couldn't, didn't make it to the grocery store shelves and you can go and buy it in bulk for cheap. And it's like, okay, what are other ways that we can just help like food waste, et cetera, yeah, and make, make things more an, accessible? I love that, Maddie. I didn't know that, but that's an interesting example too of the system, the solutions being inside of a broken system. Like who mm-hmm. that needs access to food has the availability to go to a Friday morning market downtown. <laughs> you know? Well, it's like at 5 oh. a.m. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all interesting. And I have like a something that I'm guilty of that I need to admit to Lauren. And, you know, it's no something, I've, I've heard, no <laughs> no something that I've heard you, I've heard Safe some space. of your content around and, you know, maybe you, maybe you have some some advice for me here, but pre, pre child, pre baby, I was very thoughtful with my shopping. Um, you know, pretty much did all my food shopping at the farmer's market. If I was going to buy something from a brand, I would go directly to that brand and buy it. And I am really sad to admit probably about three weeks into having a baby, I gave into Amazon and Amazon is like kind of my number one search engine for things now. And, and I like guilt myself around it every time, but it's so easy and I need the stuff immediately. And, you know, there's all the stories we can tell. Um, What conversations are you having with your community around something like that? I think, I think this, this goes back to saying earlier about shame. Like I'm never going to shame you, especially a mom. Like how I've never met a mom. How would I know? Like I'm never going to shame anybody for using Amazon. We still have a prime account. And like, this goes to, this goes back to these like gargantuan rotten systems. And like, who is the villain here? Like if I used to be able to go find a cord or a battery for my camera at like a local Sammy's camera shop in LA, then I would go do that. But like, because of these massive systems that continue to prioritize profit over people and small business and like the local community where we're looking out for each other, right? Then yeah, then it's going to be an Amazon to like, go get a new battery for my camera. Or like, I was trying to make fermented veggies the other day. And you know how you have to have like a glass weight on the, to yeah. keep it in the, in the brine? Nowhere. Can't find, could have rainbow acres, <laughs> can't find it. And I was like, okay, well then I'm going to buy it on Amazon. And I'm like, but it's not, this is like, are you going to go to nine different shops to try to find this thing? And then you go back to like, who has time, access, resources, availability to go do these things, to go find this impulsive online shopping. I think we can all like take responsibility where it's needed, because if you can afford to impulsively online shop, then you are in a place of privilege where like, that's a Mm -hmm. habit you could break. Right. Same with like, yeah wasting food 
You know, it's like if you're if you're over buying food and then not eating it, like that's also a habit that you could nurture of like, maybe I need to buy less at the grocery store or maybe I need to like give it away or freeze it before it goes bad. Right. These are things that we can. But like if I'm I don't know if I'm a mom and I need a but my older sister just had a baby, too, and she's on Amazon all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> never going to shame. I'm never going to shame you. I know. These are like the results of a broken system where this stuff is it's meant it's meant to be like ex- extremely easy and convenient if if all the moms just stopped using amazon it would go down in 30 <laughs> seconds you know <laughs> maybe maybe 2024 is the year moms unite to bring down amazon or like oh, change okay, the so system this is what we were talking about yesterday too and what i talked a lot of when you talk about what's the conversation in my community i think this is like the year and from every year forward of like the local community being the solution to everything. So mm-hmm. like Western individualization teaches us that I'm in my box and I like operate in my box, in my car, in my job, right? I'm in these like containers, but like indigenous communities and like the few first humans and like pretty much everyone outside of the West operates in community and community reliance and community organizing and, and resilience. Right. And so if I need a ladder to go hang up something, I'm only need it one time. Right. Western suburbia culture will te- teach me I need to go to Home Depot and go buy a ladder and keep it in my garage. But like every other culture outside of Western mindset will teach us like, no, somebody's got a ladder in the community. Just go borrow it and then bring it back. You mm. only need one time. Right. I love that. Dude. I That's love what. bringing more attention to that idea and what area of life is it not useful in? You know, I it, being becoming a mother really shone a light on that for me of how secluded we are um, in general, but definitely during that time, those early times for me, you know, our family's on the opposite coast. I didn't have a lot of friends at the time that were going through the same thing that I was. And you think about these other cultures where it's like every woman in the community is showing up and helping with yeah. the baby and getting the mom to take, you know, giving the mom a break and giving the mom yeah. rest or even like physically helping nurture the mom. And it's so different now. Yeah. And with everything, when I first started my company and we would sell at the farmer's market, I, there was this barter system, this unspoken barter system cool. that went on with the <laughs> vendors. And it was so, it felt so much more fulfilling than getting money for my product, swapping my products with another vendor for their products. Like that yeah. felt so incredible. And and I do think that we all, all are craving more community and I don't think we fully know where to start or what that looks like, but it sounds like we should keep an eye on your content because it sounds like you'll be helping guide us there. I mean, we all have it. It's like innate, it, it's like innately in us. I read something the other day that was so beautiful. It was like, we all started as activists. You all, we all were like birthed as activists because mm-hmm. being an activist just means you're caring about the well-being of like something greater than yourself, right? Another person or the planet or animals, right? You're born with that innate empathy, but then through like white supremacy and colonization and capitalism, you're taught like you don't care about those things. Look out for yourself, me mm-hmm. and this like nuclear family, right? Like yep. don't, don't worry about it. The words, the world's a hard place, but like kids kids like have you had they have it in them like always so much care so much love so much empathy we're taught through time that like to be sheltered and and focus on yourself and everyone out for them on their own and so i think yeah the healing is is like leading with empathy and community dependency first 
Yeah. Mm. And I, I, we're all feeling that. And so I'm excited to see, you know, I know that you both know, because we've talked about it, like the, and, you know, by this point, anyone listening will know that I fully believe in this, like the big astrological shift that just happened is really, I think it's really going to open us up to these ideas around community and gathering and bringing our power together. Um, and I'm excited to see, see yeah. where it all goes and the changes that happen. Me too. Me too. Even just like a challenge of meeting your neighbors, like go meet your neighbors and ask them like, what do you need? Can I help you? Can I borrow something? I, I feel so lucky. I literally posted this on my Instagram this morning. We got a basket delivery from our neighbor next door and she'd picked all of these like fruit off her tree of just like oranges and limes and delivered them. And I have the best relationship with my neighbors. Literally last week I was sitting at my desk and I was like, gosh, I'm hungry and I can't be bothered making dinner. And I get a message from my neighbor being like, hey, do you want any veggie soup, Mads? We've got leftovers. I was like, what? Like they, every time they just like knock on our door and they'll come bring us like leftover food or anything, like fresh fruit, flowers. And we just like, it's just this like beautiful relationship we have with our neighbors on either side. And it brings me so much joy. Like I have spent Saturday yeah. nights with my neighbors who are in, you know, their older years and I'm hanging out with them on a Saturday night, sitting around yeah. their fire having chats because I'm like, you guys yeah. are so interesting. This feels so much more rewarding than anything yeah. else. The friend I was talking to about the like evolution of knowing something, believing something, then I don't have a choice. He said something so true. He's, he was asking his mom, like, did you know your neighbors when I was a kid? And she was like, oh, we like didn't lock our door. Like we were always, she goes, right. Every, right. every weekend we were at one of the neighbor's houses and like the kids were playing in the backyard. Like the moms may have been cooking something. Like everybody was helping each other with house projects and chores. Like, of course. And so I, I feel like we can't be remiss to acknowledge that with like, you know, devices on our person all the time. Like mm. we have less interpersonal connection because we're all digital now, right? Connecting mm-hmm. at any time with someone else anywhere. But it also has created this like shield. Like we have less dependency yeah. on our neighbors because now you're, we're on our phones, you know, around the internet. And cause I remember that too. Like my neighbors, we carpooled with and we like went to school together. Yeah. We took the bus together and we were always going to neighbors' houses and things like that. And it's, I don't think it's the same anymore and you when you look at this like epidemic of loneliness with young people too it's really it's really sad and so I think this evolution we're talking about too Brooke this shift I think it will also be like a new learned behavior or perhaps just like completely cutting the cord with like these things because I don't wow. know yeah. if that exists with dependency on this you know true true and I challenge. think we Ooh, yes, go. I challenge everyone who's listening to go and knock on your neighbor's door. If you don't know them, introduce yourself to your neighbor on either side and offer them something, anything, and just like start to create that relationship because that's just how it starts. Just like saying hello, waving in the driveway, just like passing by. Like that's all it takes is to start that relationship. You never know what can come of it. Yeah. Do you guys know, do you guys know what May Day is? Like May, May the month, May Day? May 1st? Yes. Ye- I don't, 
I tell us. It. Okay. Well, maybe it's a, it's a, I'm sure it's a thing that happens in the US, but we did it when we were kids and I loved it. And I did it a few years ago in this condo complex we were living in, but you basically take flowers or like a little basket of flowers and you put them on someone's porch or hang them on their um, doorway and you knock on the door and you run off. So you get no recognition. You don't leave a note or anything. You get no recognition for leaving them, but they open the door to these flow- wonderful flowers from someone. And I loved it as a kid. And a few years ago, I did I did it with my oh. my neighbors in my condo complex. And it just like the feeling it gives you is it, it's so incredible. And just to know like you, there's this like fun mystery behind like making someone's day and they're like, what? Who did this? This is amazing. They're not expecting it. And so that is like what you're supposed to do on May Day, which is May 1st. Um, I don't it's know if anyone still does it, but yeah. Oh, we are bringing yeah, it's, that it's back. It's really fun. Let's do it. Um, absolutely. May Day. I'll see you ladies in Venice. Yes. We'll, go, we'll go around knocking on doors. So sweet. I feel like people in the Midwest would do that. Do we do that in California? Not as friendly out here. We do now. We do now. <laughs> um, Lauren, you're working on something that you shared with us that's really cool um, that involves plant-based eating and your dad. And I'd love for you to, to share that with everyone. Yeah. So my dad, James Neil Faree, he, uh, he'd always had poor health. Like he got a stent put in his heart when I was 12. He had wow. like, jaw cancer when I was in college. Um, he had smoked cigarettes and had just eaten like a textbook American diet. And, um, like, I mean, just like the consequences of eating a textbook American, highly processed, highly animal derived diet was just like a lifetime of diet-related health diseases and complications. And so um, I'd always feared, I'd always feared for my dad's life because his health was always in poor, his, in poor health. So, yeah. Um, but I'd watched the films, you know, I'd been plant-based since I was 18. And so I'd watch all the films. Anytime something new would come out, I'd be like, this is amazing. Try to get him to watch it, read it. No. <laughs> and then you're tired. And I was like, dad, there's this month called Veganuary. You eat plant-based for 30 days and it's this global movement starting in Europe. It's here now. Let's do it. And I'll share it on my TikTok and it'll be amazing. And he was so hesitant at the beginning. I was like, come on, let's do it. <laughs> so he came and the first video we posted had like 800,000 views. And that's because wow. I think so many people, they either saw themselves in it as a boomer or you saw yourself or you saw like yourself in it as your parent. I'm yep. like, oh yeah, I want to do this with my parents. And so he did it for 30 days. He ate plant-based. We grocery shop together. We meal prep on the weekends. We even would try like, he was like, I want to go try the Beyond Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I was like, let's <laughs> do it. Like he was trying everything. And I was like, whatever it is, so you're not eating meat. Like this is awesome, dad. And I, I know a lot of people have a lot to say about the like vegan proteins and stuff. But if you're eating like a very meat heavy diet and you're trying to transition, like these are wonderful entry point products to get people to eat less meat and like cholesterol only comes from animal derived food. It's the fact that he was still eating these. Anyways, he went plant-based for 30 days. He lowered his blood pressure 50 points and he had his blood work done to reduce. So he had his blood pressure medicine reduced in half and was getting blood work done to see if they could take him off the cholesterol meds. And he saw it. He saw how food could be so healing and could, Mm -hmm could help him wean off this, these meds that he had been on for a long time. 
And that was his goal was to like ultimately get off these meds because I don't think anybody loves starting their day with like a cocktail of medicine, especially right. when they're caused by poor diet. And so anyways, I shared all these videos on the internet. Everybody loved dad. They called him like TikTok rock star, TikTok's favorite <laughs> dad. It was so awesome. Um, and one of the things dad had been experiencing in his poor health was chest pains and it was during the pandemic too. So we couldn't go with him to his appointments. And I think like a culmination of lots of things, um, but he had never had a ultrasound done on his chest. And so dad had ultimately had a aortic aneurysm in his heart and it had ruptured shortly after we had done Veganuary. And so he was still on all his meds and everything too. But, um, and unfortunately it was like a thing that was, it was, probably going to happen anyways mm -hmm. we just didn't know mm -hmm. we didn't know we didn't see it coming and we mm -hmm. didn't expect it and so um it took his life and so that was march 20 2022 yeah and so sorry so i mean i'm in a good i'm actually in like an okay place with it right now i have good days bad days mm. um wow. but I think as with anyone, when you lose your parent to someone when it feels like it could have been, I mean, an aneurysm is an aneurysm, but watching dad struggle for so long with health related diseases or diet related diseases, I was like, where was this like encouragement and him being championed and like loved on like we did for 30 days? Like why yep. isn't that translated in the doctor's office? Yeah. Like why didn't the doctor like hire somebody to help my dad meal prep or like, where was the checking yep. in on him? And where was it like 30 years ago instead of like now, you know, at 67. Yeah. And so a lot of anger, I think grief makes Ooh. you feel everything, but a lot of anger at the beginning. And anyways, I reached a point where I was sitting on all this footage. I have all these short form videos of my dad. And I was like, I want to make a film because I know that my dad helped so many people online. And I know that we've like just scratched the surface. And I have obviously a bunch of footage that didn't make it into these like 30 second clips. So this story of honoring my dad and his journey of wanting to get off medicine and how he was able to wean off meds in 30 days by eating plant-based and just like honoring his legacy of he did it, you know, he wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's so beautiful. And you're right to be like, it's understandable to be upset. And I had a similar feeling in my own health journey, which luckily was in my 20s and I was able to figure out, but it's like, why aren't these conversations being had in the doctor's office? Right. Why, you know, maybe it's not their responsibility to help us carry them out, but maybe it is. Um, but why, why isn't there more of a conversation or, uh, hey, I want you to try doing this with your diet for 30 days. And if that doesn't work, we will look at right. what meds we want to put you on. <laughs> right. Like, the I the mean. conversation and empowering people i've always and maddie and i have talked about this a ton and it's been a big motivator motivator for me personally is like the lack of understanding people have in how impactful eating is and how the food they put in their mouth is literally one of the most important decisions yeah. if not the most important decision that they make every day and we are just so disconnected from that and it feels like so much work and yeah you know people are so reluctant to give up these things that they love so much like the sodas and the burgers and the because they just love them but it's like but don't you love your life don't you, you know don't fully and i think we just don't people just don't fully understand that and yeah. i'm sure it's it parallels a lot of the things you see in the climate conversations is like 
it's this like when you have the information it's like you want to shake people and it's like but wait <laughs> like how do you not understand that you have to do this like you yeah. you need to make these changes that, and how much better life is on the other side bingo yeah what's possible for sure yeah it's so good just sharing this lauren because i mean at 25 years old, I got told I had high cholesterol. Literally, my doctor was like, this is alarmingly high for a 25-year-old. And she was like, I think you've just like, we might have to put you on medication. And I was like, there is no way I'm going on cholesterol medication at 25 years old. And I took my health into my own hands. And that like shortly after I had moved to LA and also when I was getting into the food and beverage industry and working with Brooke and I started to learn so much about food, what's truly in our food, how processed it can be, et cetera. I went plant-based during this time and I went in back to get tested a year later and they were like, oh yeah, your cholesterol's fine at normal levels. And Amazing. I was like, there you go. And similar story with my mum she I told her to watch what the health or one of those documentaries at the time because she was like why are you going plant-based Maddie you won't be able to get your protein and she watched it and afterwards literally calls me straight away and she's like Richard and I are going plant-based and that was seven years ago (laughs) and mum has cut her cholesterol medicine back significantly since going plant-based as well it's amazing and so that message, it's like, what can you do? What are you capable of? Yeah. With food, transforming your food. I think the, the thing I felt with dad is like some, yes, there's an element of responsibility. Like it ultimately had to be dad's choice, right? Like he mm-hmm. could have, uh, yeah. he had to be open-minded and willing to try something new. And for dad, it was all about cost. Like he had a lot of fears around this being expensive. And so we would go to places like Grocery Outlet and I would show him side by side how like oat milk, he would put like, uh, he called it Cremora, but like coffee mate in his coffee (sighs) side by side at Grocery Outlet. It'd be like $1.99 for the dairy one and $1.99 for the almond one. And I was like, dad, same behavior, just like switch the option. And I was like, and then it's a dairy free option. We're just like same behavior, switching the ingredient. Right. And there's still like processed things in this creamer, but it was just making like this, but I showed him it's the same cost. This doesn't have to be something that that was his fear was I can't afford this. I can't afford to eat healthy. And two things. One, there's a brilliant book called how the other half eats. Oh my God. It should Mm. be like required for anybody in the like food world. And this, uh, researcher went and studied four different families who all lived within like 10 miles of each other in the Bay area. And the wealthiest family was like a tech, tech family. And the poorest family was living below the poverty line. And the mom, I think was on disability and had two, two kids. And it just showed you like how within 10 mile radius, how do moms make the purchasing decisions in the home, given their income? Like what can they afford to feed their families? And the ultimate conclusion of the book is like, it's not just about food access. Like this is about people not being paid enough. Like if Mm. you cannot, if you cannot afford if, and, and just like, what do you do with your time? If you're underpaid, Yeah, Yeah. you know, and so Trader Joe's and Whole Foods was like this, this often place that this wealthier family would go to and they would have dinner at home all the time. Whereas like going to the food pantry or food bank was where the 
like low income family would go and having fried chicken was like something to bring the family joy, like something of pleasure mm, and joy yeah. and community. And when I think about my dad too, I was like, dad leaving the doctor's office being told you have high blood pressure, you have hypertension, you have high cholesterol. He's set up to fail. Like, look, leave a doctor's office, drive from Long Beach hospital to my dad's house. And you must pass like 40 Wendy's. How many billboards for like burgers yep. and alcohol and cigarettes? Like, How many ads are you constantly bombarded with all the time that are just like attacking your, your setup to fail? And I'm like, it's, it yeah. wasn't completely uh, your fault, dad. Like you're, if you are, if you are cost, um, if you're, if you're underpaid or if you're low income, like you're set up to fail, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. These are these like rotten, broken systems that prey on people being sick. It's messed up. Yeah, it is. It is heartbreaking. And, you know, I, I think I'd love to give our community from your perspective, like a takeaway or a couple takeaways on like, you know, we've shared a lot of information on the broken systems and how hard it can be and how people need more access to, to access to the things, but even just access to the information, which is a really cool time that we're living in where kind of everyone has access to, to information if it, you know, if they have a phone, but what are, what are, what's a takeaway or a couple takeaways that you can share with our community to allow them to understand how they can take action or what they should be thinking about or doing? Yeah. Um, the first thing I recommend is there's this brilliant exercise. Ayana Johnson, Dr. Ayana Johnson is a marine scientist and wonderful climate activist. And she has this um, like Venn diagram. It's kind of like Ikigai, the Japanese, when you know you find like, what am I yeah. good at? What's my profession? Yeah. How can I make money? Um, what brings me joy? It's similar to that. And it's like, what brings me joy? What am I good at? And what does the world mean? Like, what does the climate or what does the movement need? And then the sweet spot in the middle. And it's like, that's bingo. That's your sweet spot. And so like, if y'all's passion is food, like climate touches food, food is harvested mm -hmm. from the land. Like, of course, there's a huge pillar within regenerative agriculture and agriculture in general. When we talk about the climate movement, right? The beautiful thing about climate is it literally touches everything, people and planet, right? That's what this is about. Yeah. And so. I think first it's finding like, what is, if you, if you don't know what it is yet, you're like, I want to participate. I just don't want to know what it is. Mine was Surfrider Foundation through like ocean conservation. And then like, like spat into like a million different things, but that was just my mm -hmm. entry. But you got to like, yeah, get curious first and just find what is the, what is the overlap? The climate movement needs like anything and everything you've got, <laughs> you know, anything mm -hmm. you're willing to give. Anything yeah. But I it. love I love that idea and looking at your content too, and it started to make me ask questions. Um, and the Surfrider, like the idea of finding an organization that resonates with you, I kind of started to go down the rabbit hole of the Surfrider Foundation and, you know, that they have events that people can participate in. It was like, okay, cool. Step one, go to a beach cleanup, see what that feels like. Yeah. Start to have, con start to have conversations in the community, see what's going on. And I, I love that because that feels fun. It kind of hits on a lot of things that we talked about, you know, getting in a community, taking action, asking questions, educating yourself. And like, it seems kind of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. No, grassroots activism is lit. Like you talk about community dependency or like community resilience. It's going to be grassroots people. These are the people who are like showing up to city hall 
like city council meetings being like, we don't want this. We don't want this drilling here. We don't want the, we want like a stricter plastic, single use plastic ordinance. Like grassroots activism is awesome. And so that, yeah, that's always my, typically is my number one, but I think first is finding out like, what are you passionate about and, and how does the climate movement need it? But secondly is join a community group. And so surf, Surfrider is a grassroots, I mean, it's a national organization with 150 different grassroots local chapters. Oh, wow. That's um, cool. It's awesome. But I think that's the second step. So if you're passionate about food, we talked about like joining community garden and like stewarding the land. That's so badass. It's like saying, I can't fix the massive like industrial agricultural complex, but I can steward this land really, really well. And then from the community, it's like, oh, we're gathering together and we're going to purchase a bigger lot, or we're going to start doing a crop swap, or we're going to start doing um, backyard renovation so more people can steward the land in their own space, whatever, right? That it just, you don't know. You don't know until you're like plugged into the community. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Lauren. Are we there? Is it time for our final question? Yes. So this is what we ask our guests and um, I would love you to share. What is one word or a sentence you would use to describe your past self, your present self, and your future self? Cool. I think my past self was very curious and i love that about her Ooh. very curious that's beautiful um, that hits yeah um she got me where i am today right she got me this far absolutely yeah yeah she's done well she's done she's done and okay and the second one this is hard to say but it was one of my new year's intentions this year was to be fucking proud of myself that was oh, a, yes. Yes, well. I yes. think women have a really hard time, right? Saying I'm proud of myself. I wrote it on my mirror. Mm. <laughs> I'm I proud love of that. <laughs> yes. Um, <gasps> so my present self is I'm proud. I'm proud of myself. Oh, Even beautiful. that, I'm like, what freaking guy is going to be like, oh, this girl thinks she's hot shit. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all baked in our minds, right? Like how yep. dare women be proud of themselves? Anyway. So much to be proud of. Future self. I wrote mother and I don't think just in like the like physical sense of wanting to be a mom, but I think just of being like a caretaker and nurturing and maternal mm. and like mama earth, like how can I mama be more, earth. you know, generous and unconditional and reciprocal and like, yeah, just so, so giving without actually mother earth does not give without anything expected like mother earth does give with the expectation that we'll reciprocate right oh absolutely so and so we should yeah and i think my mom too is like such a caretaker and so giving and she doesn't give with anything in expectation but maybe because there is this like reciprocal loving relationship we're always like giving in return it feels good to love and give back to her because of how everything she gives us so, I mean, I just want to be my mom someday. Oh, <laughs> she's wow. amazing. I, that's, I hope my daughter says that someday. She you know, will, that's bro. the goal. That's, if you have that's the gift what of wants. visiting Lauren's mom's yard, it is, yeah. and it is a dream. 
Oh my gosh. Lauren, can you just give a little description of your mom's backyard? Whenever I tell people about before they come to mom's, I'm like, just embrace the chaos. Like it is, <sighs> it's, it literally feels like something in like a, a storybook. She's got this like blue. It's so colorful. She's like a mural. As soon as you enter, like me and my sisters, there's like <laughs> tropical wallpaper and like green walls. And it's so colorful and vibrant and just like an artist, gardener, beekeeper, like cook, chef, love, like house of love. You know, it's just like wow. oozing. It's oozing love. Yes. And her backyard is like a proper regenerative urban farm. So nothing is in like rows or crops. It is like growing on top of each other and it's wild and there's bees and bunnies and turtles and it's mayhem, but it's, Banana it's, trees. Na- it's earth. Banana trees and berries and kale and Okay, now trees. I want to be your mom too. <laughs> I know. Oh, I've always told abundant. her, I'm like, I feel like when I cross to the other side, she's going to be the one who's greeting me. And she would like, I'm like, Oh, you were an angel this whole time. Like for sure. She's like out of this world. I have fears. Like it always comes up around the holidays. I'm like, we're not going to amount to be half the woman you are. Like, what do we do? Are you kidding (laughs) me? You three sisters are amazing. Amazing. And I see where you all got your creative spark from (laughs) your loving, your loving spark. It's beautiful. She's our matriarch for sure. that is that's so beautiful and yeah I think one I think we all should go hang out with your mom and and two I hope your mom listens to this because that is definitely every mom's dream for their daughter to feel that way and so I'm sure you know I'm sure you're an incredible daughter and it's all reciprocal and very cool thank you for for sharing some pieces of your story um I feel like we could talk for hours because there's a lot of things we didn't get into, but maybe that means means a second appearance um, down the road. I'm so grateful for this. I agree. We could chit chat for hours. I love this. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much for having me. Absolutely. Aww. Lauren, could you share where where people can find you? Yes. I'm on Instagram and TikTok and kind of like a wannabe YouTuber, but I go by Re Lauren, R-E-L-A-U-R-E-N. And like warning, once you start following, you're going to like set aside an hour to just <laughs> hang out and go down the the rabbit hole of Lauren's content because it is just, it's so fun and informative and just inspiring in so many ways. And you just are, you are such a, when you said that you're a theater kid, I was like, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> you are living, so well. uh, you are living the theater kid dream. Like, I hope yeah. you're little, the little girl inside you is just like, hell yes. We're oh, doing yeah. it. Oh, yeah. She's like, born I'll take it from the top. It. One more time. I'll take it from the top. <laughs> but y'all, it's like so embarrassing because it's literally me alone in my house with my little camera. And I'm like, okay, one more take. Let's try that again. I can see it. I can go watch it for hours. It is my most watched Instagram by far. So, so good. This is what I'm saying, Mads. You're everybody's hype woman. Girl, you you deserve it. Love it. Thank you again, Lauren. If you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of it, please rate and review and definitely share this with a friend. Um, Let's, that's like the perfect first step to creating a community around these conversations are start the conversation with the people closest to you. Um, I think this could be a really fun way to do that. So thank you all for being here with us. And thank you again, Lauren. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren.
Thank you so much, Lauren. That was an incredible conversation. Um, we went a lot of places and felt, you know, I know Maddie and I both walked away feeling really inspired. Um, you can follow Lauren on Instagram and TikTok at ReLauren for more in inspiration and for some really great storytelling. Join us on Instagram and TikTok. We don't know what we're doing on TikTok, so maybe just hang out on Instagram at Expanders Club. And of course, follow us, rate us, review us on your listening platform of choice, including YouTube. And if this, if you found this episode interesting, please share with a friend. Thank you, guys. We loved that episode. Lauren, you're inspirational. And actually, we have signed up to a beach cleanup by Surfrider on February Sunday, the 25th. If you're in LA, I think they're meeting down at Manhattan Beach. So you guys come join us. We're going to get a gang together and clean up the beach, especially after all these storms. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but the foundation is Surf Rider. You have to sign up through them. Um, we'll be there and we would love to see your faces and clean up some trash. Do what we do best. Thanks, right. everyone. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye.